Good morning, Parkway Church. How you doing? Good. So glad that you guys are here with us, whether you're gathered at Parkway, Port Lavaca, week two at the chapel. We hope that you're having a great day together in Port Lavaca, or you're gathered at the tree. We're so glad you're here. Parkway Online, Parkway Victoria. Welcome, welcome, welcome. My name is Mike. I'm the senior pastor here. And it's my privilege this year to be walking through the Bible with you. We're looking at at different books of the Bible, and we're focusing in on the big storyline of God, the theological threads that run throughout the Bible. And I'm so excited that you're here with us today as we jump into the book of Esther. As you turn to the book of Esther, let me also draw attention to the handout that you were given. At every location, I want you to check out that handout. On the center, in the the, the right-hand panel of that handout, is a list of needs that we have as a church family where we need teammates to step in and to begin serving the Lord through their church. And so as you look at that, if you see there's a place where you might be interested in serving, whether it's with adults or students or children, whether it's behind the scenes or with people, we encourage you to fill out that form and then just rip it off. Rip it off, rip it off, and then drop it in the offering plate. So essentially, I just wanna make it clear, I'm asking you to give a rip and find your place to serve. I'm asking you to give it a rip and find your place to serve. I encourage you to do that because teammates will tell you that serving Jesus is one of the ways that they grow in their relationship with the Lord. Teammates will tell you that serving others is a way that they learn to serve Jesus better. So if you can serve once or twice a month, I encourage you, give a rip and find your place. Now let's jump into the book of Esther. This book of Esther is in our series that we've entitled Those People. In week one of those people, remember we looked at the book of Ezra, where the people of God were returning from their Babylonian captivity, and Ezra had to deal with some hypocrisy. They were marrying the wrong people, doing the wrong things, dishonoring God, and so Ezra called them on their hypocrisy. He said, if you believe one thing, then you should live what you believe. It was a very challenging book. And then last week, we looked at the book of Nehemiah. Nehemiah followed Ezra and came and was rebuilding the city walls in Jerusalem. And as he was rebuilding the city walls, he had to deal with critics. He had to deal with people that were looking to distract him, looking to keep him from rebuilding the walls, the work that God has given him. And one of the things that the critics did, the last step is they attempted to manipulate Nehemiah. They started playing head games with him. And Nehemiah rightly said, hey, what you're saying is not true. You're crazy in your head. It's all happening in your head. You're making these stories up in your head. And now we turn to the book of Esther. And the book of Esther is also in this period of the exile. And the book of Esther is going to tell us a story of God's people while they were still in captivity. And this book of Esther is one of the most fascinating books in the Bible. It's fascinating because if it were a fairy tale, you would believe it. Because it's the story of a young woman who was orphaned, who was adopted by a relative, who was chosen to be queen, had a choice to make, would she use her position for herself or for others? And then there's a dramatic, dark twist in the end that happens to the villain in the story. If this was a fairy tale, you'd believe it. But it's the word of God. It's no fairy tale. And so I hope that instead of simply going, wow, that's a good story, wow, that's a good story that we can learn from. And today we're gonna learn how to deal with those people, those people who try to manipulate us. Like a puppet master with their puppet, they try and control the movement of people. Like a puppet master with their puppet, they try and manipulate people as though they are a toy. That's what we're gonna deal with today. And we're gonna deal with it through the book of Esther by learning about this guy named Haman. 
As we learn about Haman, here's where the story of Esther begins. King Xerxes loved to throw big parties. And he was throwing this series of parties or banquets one time. And he and his friends had consumed just a little too much to drink. And they had this idea. Hey, king, why don't you get the queen out here to dance for us? She's beautiful. Tell her to put on her crown and have her come dance for us. Now, gentlemen, hypothetically, you've been watching your favorite sport with your friends and you've had maybe a half too many. And one of them says, hey, do you think your wife would come dance for us? <laughs> hypothetically, how do you think she's going to respond? Well, that's exactly how the queen of Persia, Vashti, responded. I'm not going out and dancing for your drunken friends. I'm, my crown is put away. You ain't seen my crown for a long time now. Anyway, you, no way, no way am I going to go dance for your friends. And there's this guy, Haman, that was in the king's crew. Haman looks at the king and says, hey, it's not good for you if she disobeys you. If she learns that she can say no to you, that's not in your best interests. And the king says, you know, you're right. And so what he does is he ends the relationship with Vashti and begins looking for a new queen. In this process of finding a new queen, it's kind of like the bachelor. Like you've got him and you've got a series of young ladies that he's going to choose from. His people go out in the villages and they look to find the best young lady for the king. And they came upon a young girl named Esther. She was being raised by a family relative, kind of like an uncle. His name was Mordecai. And Esther, the Bible says, was as beautiful and as kind and as gentle and loving as anyone else to be found. And so when, you know, they brought her before the king, they had a pretty good bet that she would be his choice. Listen to how the Bible plays this story out. Esther chapter 2, 15 through 18. So when the turn came for Esther, the young woman Mordecai had adopted, the daughter of his uncle Abihail, to go to the king. She asked for nothing other than what Haggai, the king's eunuch who was in charge of the harem, suggested. And Esther won the favor of everyone who saw her. She was taken to King Xerxes and the royal resident, residence in the 10th month, the month of Tibet, in the seventh year of his reign. And you guys know, as we've walked through the Old Testament together this year, every time that there's a date mentioned and a location mentioned, it's to remind us that this is a real story. It's to remind us that these are real people in real places. This is no fairy tale. This is the word of God. This is history. And so now the king, verse 17, was attracted to Esther more than to any of the other women. Like he cut up all the roses and just had one left. There was no one else that he would consider. Now he was attracted to Esther more than any of the other women. She won his favor and approval more than any of the other virgins. So he set a crown on her head and made her queen instead of Vashti. And the king gave a great banquet, Esther's banquet, for all his nobles and officials, he proclaimed a holiday throughout the provinces, and he distributed gifts with loyal liberality, royal liberality. The king was happy. The king was ready to celebrate. And this sets the stage for the story of Esther. Esther is now queen of Persia, queen of Babylon. She is now in a place of influence, but she's got to deal with a manipulator. And that's who we're going to get to know next in this story. 
That manipulator's Haman, the one that looked at the, at the king and said, hey, if Vashti won't dance for us, she'll never dance for you. You need to get rid of her. You need to get rid of her. That's Haman. Haman was the king's right-hand man. And he was a master at puppeteering. He was a master at manipulating people and thinking that he could control them by his whims and his wants and his desires. Haman, as we get to know him, he held the highest position under the king. Esther 3, verse 1. After these events, King Xerxes honored Haman, son of Hamadatha, Hamadatha, the Agite, elevating him and giving him a seat of honor higher than that of any of the other nobles. So this guy, Xerxes, or this guy Xerxes makes Haman, who's got a dad, who's from a family, he's an, he's an Agagite, and he gave him a position, he is second in charge. So how would Haman use his position? One of the things that we learn about manipulators is that they wanna use their position to, to hurt people and not help people. They wanna use their, people, their position to harm and not help. And we see that with Haman. Listen to this. All the royal officials at the king's gate knelt down and paid honor to Haman, for the king had commanded this concerning him. But Mordecai would not kneel down or pay him honor. So Haman was the kind of leader that he wanted everybody to know that he was the leader. He wanted everybody to know that he was the man. He was the man just under the king. So even as he came by the city gates, if you were hanging out with your friends at the city gates, you'd have to bend a knee because Haman just went by. Yeah, the king declared it, but I'm sure Haman asked for it. Everybody bowed a knee except for one. His name was Mordecai. Verse three. Then the royal officials at the king's gate asked Mordecai, why do you disobey the king's command? Day after day, they spoke to him, but he refused to comply. Therefore, they told Haman about it. How to, therefore, they told Haman about it to see whether Mordecai's behavior would be tolerated. For he had told them he was a Jew. You see, the reason that Mordecai wouldn't bend a knee to Haman is because there was only one person that he would bend a knee to, and that was his God. He wouldn't bend a knee to a royal official because he was following royalty, God Himself. And so day after day, when everybody else bowed and he stood, the men would come and say, hey, Mordecai, Morty, why aren't you bending? Why aren't you bowing down? Why aren't you bending a knee? Morty, you know this isn't gonna go well for you. Morty, you know, remember what they did to Vashti? You know, look, you need to bend a knee. And he said, I'm not gonna bend a knee because I'm a Jew. I'm not gonna bend a knee because I'm following God. I don't follow any man. And so he told them that in confidence and they went to Haman with that news, he wouldn't bend a knee, he wouldn't bow, he wouldn't kneel because he was God's kid and not the son of or daughter of this nation that he was living in. When Haman saw that Mordecai would not kneel down, verse five, or pay him honor, he was enraged. Remember last week, the heart of the critic was angered and now we see the heart of the manipulator is enraged. Once again, we see that their issue is their issue Mordecai didn't cause this. Haman chose to be angry. Yet having learned who Mordecai's people were, he scorned the idea of only killing Mordecai. Instead, Haman looked for a way to destroy all Mordecai's people, the Jews throughout the whole kingdom of Xerxes. So he was upset with Haman. Pardon me. Haman was upset with Mordecai, but he didn't want to just kill Mordecai because there were more like Mordecai. 
Mordecai was a Jewish person. He was a foreigner living in a distant land. He followed God, not the king. And Haman wanted to wipe everybody out. Remember that position that he had second to the king? He was gonna use it not just to harm one guy who would offended him, but a whole race of people simply because they had different customs, they had different habits, they had different holidays. You're gonna see it right here. So, so what did Haman do? He did what manipulators do. He used his relationship to get what he wants. Manipulators are really good at playing with relationships and like the puppet master of relationships. If you ever hang out with a manipulator, like you know that you're getting played at some level. Like you feel like you might need to go take a shower after you like talk with them because you know that it's just so slimy and so dirty and you know you're getting played at some level. Well, this is where Haman goes back to the king and uses his relationship. Then Haman said to King Xerxes, Esther 3, 8 and 9. Then Haman said to King Xerxes, there's a certain people dispersed among the people in all of the provinces of your kingdom who keep themselves separate. Their customs are different from those of other people and they do not obey the king's laws. It is not, the king, it's not in the king's best interest to tolerate them. If it pleases the king, let a decree be issued to destroy them and I will give 10,000 talents of silver to the king's administrators for the royal treasury. Okay, so this is the second time that Haman has come to the king and said, it's not in your best interests. It's not in your best interest to keep Vashti because she won't listen. It's not in your best interest to keep Mordecai and his people among us because they don't truly follow you and your laws. Let me just give you a little hint. If you've got one person telling you what's in your best interests and what's not in your best interests, that person may just be trying to play you like they're your puppet master. If you've got somebody that's trying to define your interests from the outside in, they might just be trying to play you like Haman was playing the king. He even manipulated the king. It's crazy. He said, let me kill him because they're not following you. And if you let me kill him, I'll even pay you with cash. He went to the king's like pride and he went to the king's greed. So the king, how did he respond? Esther 3 verse 10 and 11. So the king took his signet ring from his finger and gave it to Haman the son of Hamadatha, the Agagite, the enemy of the Jews. Keep the money, the king said to Haman, and do with the people as you please. So the king gave him his ring, and that's a sign of authority and permission. The king gave him his ring and said, hey, I don't need your cash, but you can take care of those people. And so from that point forward, Haman's plan was in the works. He was gonna destroy the people of God living in exile. When Mordecai, remember that's the man that raised Esther. When Mordecai learned of all that had been done, he tore his clothes, put on sackcloth and ashes, and went out into the city wailing loudly and bitterly. So we're at the point in our story where it's beginning to shift. The, the fairy tale story of a young girl being chosen to be queen is, is drifting away because her people are in crisis. And her uncle, Mordecai, hears it. And Morty runs out into the city square and puts on sackcloth and ashes. And he's grieving and mourning and wailing. Esther hears about it, sends him some clothes. And he won't take them because he is grieving. He's grieving what could happen to God's people if this manipulator, this vile Haman, gets what he wants. And so Esther sends word back, what is wrong? What is the threat? And Mordecai sends the word back, Haman's gonna kill us all. 
He's going to take out all the Hebrew, all the Jewish people. You need to go to the king and stop it. At which point Esther, remembering the custom and the laws of the day, responds back to him, I can't go see the king. See, it was illegal for anyone to request a meeting with the king without that king first asking to see them. Much like we see the royals in England have protocol, that was the protocol for the king of Persia in the day. She says, even the queen can't go and ask for an audience. She might be killed. Mordecai heard her reply. And listen to how the story continues. It gets so good. When Esther's words were reported to Mordecai, he sent back this answer. Do not think that because you were in the king's house, you alone of all the Jews will escape. For if you remain silent at this time, relief and deliverance for the Jews will arise from another place. But you and your father's family will perish. And here's the most famous verse from this book. And who knows, but that you have come to this royal position for such a time as this. Mordecai sends word back and says, Esther, maybe God's big plan, putting a young Jewish girl as queen in a foreign land, maybe God's big plan is that you have been positioned for such a time as this. Maybe now's not the time for you to shrink back in fear. Maybe now's not the time to follow protocol. Maybe now's not the time to worry about the letter of the law. Maybe now God has placed you here for such a time as this. This is where in the story we begin to see how God sovereignly places his hand on people's lives and how God places us at the exact time and the exact place that he wants us to accomplish his purposes. And as Mordecai said to Esther, who knows, that before, but before such a time as this, have you been placed in this position? Friends, as you look at your life and what God has called you to do and gifted you to do, if you look, as you look at how God wants you to obey him and depend upon him and follow him, who knows, but that for such a time as this, God has placed you here. Who knows? that God has placed you here perfectly so that you can accomplish what he would have you accomplish. The confidence I learned when I read the book of Esther is that we're gonna see how God helped Esther deal with that manipulator, Haman. And God helps us as we follow him and obey him and depend upon him, as we keep taking our next steps in our journey with him, we see his plan unfold. Esther and Mordecai could never have dreamed how this plan would unfold. They could never see it because this was God's plan at work behind the scenes. So how did Esther deal with the manipulator, Haman? Well, at first she said, I'm not gonna do anything. And then she was challenged for such a time as this. And then she sent word back to Haman. Listen to what she said. And it gives us the first thing we need to remember as we deal with manipulators. The first thing to remember as we deal with manipulators is to recognize the spiritual battle. You can fill in that blank. That's exactly what Esther did. She said, there's a battle going on here that's beyond what Mordecai or I can win. There's a spiritual battle going on. And listen to how she fought. Esther 4, 15 and 16. Then Esther sent this reply to Mordecai. Go gather together all the Jews who are in Susa and fast for me. Do not eat or drink for three days, night or day. I and my attendants will fast as you do. When this is done, I will go to the king 
even though it's against the law. And if I perish, I perish. So what changed from the young girl who says, I can't go, it's against the law, to the girl who says, if I go and I perish, then I perish, but we're gonna pray first. What changed? She prayed. What changed? She recognized the spiritual battle. She was looking for God's strength. She was looking for God's leadership, God's direction in this step. She couldn't defeat Haman on her own. It's one of those choices that we have to make. Do we fight with our hands or do we fight on our knees? It's one of those choices we have to make. Do we fight with our words to those who seek to hurt us and harm us and manipulators around us? Or do we fight with our words that we speak first to God Almighty? Remember the spiritual battle. Ephesians 5 says, we fight not against flesh and blood but we fight against the rulers and authorities and the powers of the dark world. We fight against the spiritual forces that are at work against us. Friends, we can fight with people, but the choice we make before we take a step against manipulators should be to work with God. The first step we should take is to talk to God. Last week we heard from Nehemiah that he didn't speak for God until he heard from God. This is the exact same type of thing that Esther's doing. She is seeing the spiritual battle. We're gonna fast. Over Memorial Day weekend, a man and his wife were out doing yard work in Corpus Christi right off the lake. And this man was doing yard work and crossed the yard. And his wife says, hey, hey, come, come, come. There's a rattlesnake. Sure enough, he runs over and there's a four foot long rattlesnake. He has his shovel, he kills the snake. A few moments later, he goes to dispose of the snake and as he reached down to grab the snake's head, the dead snake head bit him. The reflex of that dead head set in the man's body and put so much venom in him that he had to get 26 vials of anti-venom to save his life. Normal person gets four to save their life. The dead head of a snake nearly took him out. And friends, I just tell you that story as a reminder that even though it seems like we're winning, if we're not fighting the spiritual battle, we will not win the war. Even if it feels like we're winning and the battle is over, if we don't fight the spiritual battle, we will get bitten in the end. You say, Mike, that sounds like a preacher story. How could a dead snake bite somebody? Well, go, go out today and test it. <laughs> Recognize the spiritual battle. She prayed. She prayed and she prayed and she prayed. And then the second thing she did is she stood up to injustice. And this is a fascinating plot line in the story, how she took steps to stand up for her people. You see, she wasn't threatened. She was the queen. Now, like Mordecai warned, they will find you out as well, and you won't be saved either. But she had a position of luxury and safety. She had a position as the queen. So would she risk it? Yes, she would. She went to the king, and it pleased him to see her. And he said, what can I do for you? And she said, let's have a banquet. Let's throw a party. 
And the king liked to party. We've already established that. And so he threw a party for her. And in the midst of that first banquet, he says, what else would you like? She says, I want another banquet tomorrow night. I want a second party. And the king liked her and liked the party. We've established that. And he was really pleased to throw a party the next night. Everybody retreated to their chambers, and the king that night had trouble sleeping. And, and, and he couldn't just turn on Netflix like we do. So he woke up and got his attendants together, and they went down and read some of his chronicles, some of the things that had happened in his kingdom since he was king. And as it just so happened in God's perfect placement and perfect timing, the chronicles were opened up to a story about this man named Mordecai who had foiled an attempt for the king to be assassinated. And he's reading this story of Mordecai. Yeah, it's the same Mordecai that raised Esther. It's the same Mordecai that wouldn't bend a knee. It's the same Mordecai that Haman wants to kill and all of his people. He reads the Chronicles and he says to his attendants, did we do anything to thank this man, Mordecai? And his attendants said, no, we didn't. So the very next morning, the king was able to sleep now. The very next morning, Haman shows up. Remember, he's the bad guy. Haman shows up and the king has a question for him. The king says, what should we do for a man that the king wants to honor? Haman, thinking that the king wanted to honor him because he's awesome, says to the king, if you want to honor a man, put a robe on his back, put him on a horse, and have someone lead him through the town, saying, this is the man that the king honors. And the king said, that's a great idea. Go get Mordecai. <laughs> You're going to lead him around the city. And so we are leading into banquet number two, and Haman's walking around with a sour look on his face. This is the man the king honors. This is the man the king honors. And Mordecai's up on the horse, you know, just doing his thing. And now it's time for the second banquet. They're gathered together, and the king looks at his queen and says, so what is it that you want? What is it that you want? So the king, Esther 7, 1 through 6. So the king and Haman went to Queen Esther's banquet. And as they were drinking wine on the second day, the king again asked, Queen Esther, what is your petition? It will be given to you. What is your request? Even up to half the kingdom, it will be granted. He is, he is saying anything you want. I'll give you half the kingdom. What do you want? Then listen to her response. Remember, she was standing up for injustice. Then Queen Esther, Queen Esther answered, if I have found favor with you, your majesty, and if it pleases you, grant me my life. This is my petition. And spare my people. This is my request. She wasn't looking for wealth or power or positions. She wasn't a manipulator. She was looking to stand up against injustice. She says, this is my petition. This is my request. Save me and my people. For I and my people have been sold to be destroyed, killed, and annihilated. If we had merely been sold as male and female slaves, I would have kept quiet because no such distress would justify disturbing the king. She says, we are going to be annihilated. We're going to be killed. It's not just that we're slaves and being mistreated. If that were so, I wouldn't have come to you, but we're about to be killed. So King Xerxes, verse five, asked Queen Esther, who is he? Where is the man who's daring to do such a thing? What do you think 
Haman's face looked like right now. What do you think? Because Esther said, an adversary, an enemy, this vile Haman, pointed him out, called him out. And the king was very, very angry. As you see this story unfold, the third thing I hope you learn from the story of Esther in the Bible is that we can not only fight the spiritual battle, we can not only take a stand for injustice, but we can also trust that God cannot be manipulated. And that is a great reminder. When you feel like everybody else is playing you, God's not. When you feel like everyone else is trying to treat you like a puppet on a string for your harm and not to help you, God's not. He cannot be manipulated. And we prove it one more time. Esther 7, verse 8 and 10. So the king got real upset with Haman. And and Haman left and, and, and went and talked to the king, the queen, asking for a little mercy. Esther 7, 8 through 10. Just as the king returned from the palace garden to the banquet hall, Haman was falling on the couch where Esther was reclining. The king exclaimed, Will he even molest the queen while she is still with me in the house? (laughs) He was mad. And he was about to take action. As soon as the word left the king's mouth, he covered Haman's faith. That Harbona, one of the eunuchs attending the king, said, A pole reaching the height of 50 cubits, that's 75 feet tall, a pole standing 75 feet tall stands by Haman's house. He had set it up for Mordecai, who spoke up to help the king. So, did you catch the picture? Haman had set up a pole 75 feet tall that he was going to use to kill Mordecai. That would be the first of many killings that would come by Haman's hand. And, and, and they remind the king, hey, there's the pole standing there, the one that he created to kill Mordecai. Remember Mordecai, the one who helped you? And so what happened? The king said of Haman, impale him on it. So they impaled Haman on the pole that they had set up for Mordecai, and the king's anger fully subsided. So did you get that? The pole that was set up to kill one man was actually used to kill the one who set it up? See, there's the dark twist at the end where the vile Haman got what was coming to him. And why is that? That's because God can't be manipulated. You think others might be working to hurt and harm. God is still working for your good. You think others might be working to see you fail. God is still working for your good. Will you fight the spiritual battle? Will you stand up against injustice and let God prove once again that he's sovereign in your life? Now, I want you to hear this too. If you're here today and you've never believed in Jesus for life, you gotta get this. See, you and I are sinners. You and I are manipulators with our lives. And we deserve what happened to Haman. We deserve to be killed on a pole outside our own house because that's what our sins have earned. But the Bible says there was a man who took our place on the tree. There was a man who took our place on the cross. His name is Jesus. And his death gives us life if we believe in him for eternal life. Though we deserve death like Haman experienced, gross, gruesome death. Though we deserve death like Jesus experienced, brutal, agonizing, painful death. He offers us life. 
Why? Because at the cross, God proved that I cannot be manipulated. They thought they were defeating me, but I declare victory because I am in charge. I am working. I cannot be manipulated. So the takeaway for the day, will you once again prove that God is in charge? Esther and Mordecai never would have known that the king couldn't sleep and that he would read Chronicles of Mordecai's faithfulness to him. They never would have known that the pole that was built to kill the Jews was used to kill the one who was angered in his heart. They never would have known the perfect timing and the placement of God, but they got to experience it. Will you trust God and let him prove that he is in charge and sovereign over your life? And as you deal with those manipulators, remember, fight the battle from your knees. Remember, stand up against injustice because God cannot be manipulated. Let's pray together. Father, thanks for the chance to open your word and to learn today, to grow together. Lord, I pray that you help us to apply this word to our lives. Church family, as we pray now, I encourage you as believers to just ask God to help you deal with the difficult people in your life. Deal with them through prayer. Deal with them through boldness. Deal with them through trusting God and his sovereignty. As we pray, if you're here today and you've never believed in Jesus for life, let me tell you, what the Bible says is true. We are sinners in need of a Savior, and the Bible says that Jesus is Savior and Lord. And the Savior and Lord invites us to believe in him and to find life and life in him alone. So if today's your day to believe, let's mark it with a prayer. You can pray. Jesus, I believe. I believe that I'm a sinner who needs a savior and that you are the savior of the world. Thank you for coming for me, for dying in my place and being raised again from the dead. Today, I believe. Thank you for giving me life. 